Welcome back to Season 2 of That's So Second Millennium, the Catholic Science Podcast, where we look forward to the new synthesis in the new millennium between faith, philosophy, and science. Welcome back to the That's So Second Millennium Podcast. I'm Paul Giesning, and I'm privileged to be joined by Father John Hallwell of the Archdiocese of Indianapolis. He is the chaplain at DePaul University, which I will have to we'll have to have a little bit of a carnival sideshow about that because I am a double legacy from Wabash. My father and my brother both went to Wabash, so we'll have to those of you who don't understand why that's an important thing, we'll have to educate you about that. Um, he is also the chaplain at the Putnamville Correctional Institution, and he has a very active social media presence. And if I'm remembering correctly, you were also a math major in college. So there's a lot of interesting material for us to sort of unpack there. Yeah, absolutely. Thanks for having me. Yeah. So, uh, I mean, we'd like to start with both your intellectual and your spiritual formation, how you wound up, uh, how you wound up where you're at. Yeah. Well, I am, um, let's see, trying to think here. I guess the best place would be, I just was thinking about, um, being a uh, an engineering major at Purdue University uh, through high school and got pretty close to going. I actually went to Purdue for one year um, and, uh, and 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 loved that. I've always just kind of maths always come easy. And uh, but I missed I, missed, I, I felt the call uh, actually right like a couple days before I went to register at Purdue. I felt the call to be a teacher, um, which I had never really thought mm-hmm. much about. And uh, so I switched majors right before registering. So I guess I didn't even switch, but I just registered to be a math teacher uh, at Purdue and loved mm-hmm. Purdue. It was great. And uh, but then I, I missed athletics. I played sports in high school, so I ended up transferring to Hanover College, a little uh, small liberal arts college in okay. Indiana. But kept kept the math mm-hmm. and the teaching background uh, going, and that's what I ended up getting a degree in. But um, and did that for about two years at a Catholic high school, but. Even while I was still at Hanover, I pretty much made the decision over a course of a couple of years to eventually go to the seminary after I had, had used my mm-hmm. math teaching for a couple of years. And that's what I did. I, went, I taught at a Catholic high school for two years and then went to the seminary mm-hmm. uh, for six years in southern Indiana. So, Okay. Yeah, down at, down at St. Meinrad. Yep. So well, what, what school did you teach at? Uh, it was... Um, Catholic high school on the north side of Indianapolis called Bishop Chittard High School. Okay, yeah. All right, and then you went to you went to the seminary, and that would be, that would put you at the age of what twenty four or twenty five when you entered seminary. Right. Yep. And so then I was ordained a priest in two thousand nine at the age of thirty, mm-hmm. and then I just turned forty and celebrated my tenth anniversary of ordination uh, this summer. Okay. Yeah, that's uh, that puts us that makes me makes us exactly the same age, basically. So. Okay. All right. Born in '79, I guess. Yeah. Yeah. So. All right. So so you and so what have you done? Um, what was your? I mean, I, I take it. This is this is a question. Even though my brother was in seminary for a couple of years, he was in the pre theology. He he left after two years. He was uh, he was going for the diocese of Lafayette, so he was at. Uh, the Josephinum over in Columbus. Um, sure. I would guess that at some point during your theology training, you you do at least do a little bit of specialization, something something that attracts you a little bit more than whether it's patristics or the Bible or uh, systematic theology or what have you. 
Yeah, I would say, you know, there's, um, in terms of special, there isn't really an opportunity um, before ordination, I think, to specialize typically, other than just kind of, they give you, as with most college or, you know, programs like that, you mm-hmm. get the opportunity to take electives. Uh, and so I, yeah. I ended up taking most of mine in um, kind of counseling and, you know, um, mm-hmm. just kind of working on in the, the psychology uh, realm. Um, and and um, But yeah, then certainly after you're ordained a priest, uh, dioceses need guys that have gotten, um, you know, doctorates in patristics and moral theology, canon law. And so you'll usually get sent on cool. for yeah. graduate doctorate work in those areas. Yeah. 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 Okay. So, uh, so what have you, uh, what have your assignments been since you, uh, since you were ordained? Sure. My first three years, I was, um, uh, uh, my main job was a chaplain and teacher at, uh, Cardinal Ritter high school, which is on the West side of Indianapolis. Mm-hmm. And, um, mm-hmm. just kind of threw myself into that and, and um, but then I was also on the weekends mm-hmm. helping out at a suburban parish in Brownsburg, Indiana, called St. Malachi. So I did that for three years, and then I've been out mm-hmm. uh, in Western Indiana for the last seven years, uh, working in Brazil, okay. Indiana, the Annunciation, and then I have another a parish in Greencastle called St. Paul's, and that also has DePaul mm-hmm. University as outreach. Okay. Yeah, and that, uh, of course, brings you, well, it brings us to two things, because um, my actual intellectual background is as a geologist, and so the fact that uh, you're in Brazil, I, I had a friend from high schools in Brazil uh, for a few years. His mother was a Methodist minister, and I believe that had been their previous assignment. So I heard that, Uh, is that still active there, or is that uh, sort of have, have the mines shut down? Um, the mines have, have basically shut down. Yeah. Yep. Mm-hmm. Uh, so there is that uh, sort of a, a challenge for that particular parish and community. Yeah. Yeah. It's certainly um, uh, there's there's it's a poor area of Indiana, but uh, yeah. we have some manufacturing that's come in and and. Um, and, and provides, you know, good work for people that would like that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And then, of course, there's DePaul. <laughs> How yeah, big is DePaul right. these days? Uh, it, it, they're hurting a little bit for enrollment, I think, with a lot of universities. Um, so th- th- I think it's down to about 2,200 students, I want to say. 2,200 right students, now. yeah, which yeah. still makes them, what, twice the size of Wabash or something like that? Yeah, yeah, uh, right. Yeah. I, I think they... They need about 2,400. I think they said is kind of the ideal budget mm-hmm. price, but so they're 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 down a little bit, but uh, yeah, 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 yeah. And of course, for you know those of you uh, at home who may not be aware of the you know greatest football college football rivalry in existence, uh, DePaul and uh, Wabash have been playing for an old uh, railroad locomotive bell called the Monon Bell for a very long period of time now. So uh, that's right. That's many- right. Yeah. Many this, hijinks this have ensued. This just shows the power of Christ to unite people. That you and I are able to talk to each other. That's right. So. That's right. Just coming coming across these. I mean, there's those practically barbed wire and trenches and and everything between <laughs> between Crawfordsville and uh, and Greencastle. No, exactly. uh, that's uh, 
It is funny, though. It is a long and, and hilariously storied history, if uh, you cared to look into that. Uh, if you, had, if you, right. had, if you had half an hour to kill reading about the history of the Monon Bell is one of the uh, one of the better ways you could spend it. But so yeah. so what has the have, have you as a as a college chaplain what uh, what kind of intellectual I mean so we we talk a lot on this podcast about the relationship between science and uh, religion and obviously the Catholic faith in particular have you experienced uh, what what you know you, you're someone with boots on the ground in terms of the, the that whole culture and that you know potentially that belief being current among contemporary young people that the Catholic faith in particular and science are just, you know, well, we heard about Galileo, right? So uh, we're, we're not right. going to worry about that uh, silly superstition anymore. How has that right. played out for you in your role there at DePaul? Yeah, it was certainly something that I try to preach about on a fairly regular basis. I mean, the studies, you know, all point to the fact that it's the number one reason that people are leaving um, mm-hmm. among young adults and, and, and even teens, you know, I think the, there was a study that showed that the average age now is like 13, where you're breaking away from Catholicism. Mm-hmm. Um, and, um, you know, so, I, yeah, we try to hit that point. Uh, I, last year is kind of our opening rollout of our religious ed for our young adults, you know, our, our K through 8. I sent a, a thing out to the parents that had, you know, here's a link to... 400 scientists from the scientific revolution who were priests or Catholic lay people, you know, and just yeah. kind of trying to make that the front edge. We've, so we've really kind of moved that relationship of science and faith to really the front of what we're trying to present to all of our people, um, religious ed wise. And also like in my preaching, I try to hit that a lot. And then, um, so those would, those would be the main things that come to mind. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And what, uh, how about the students themselves? Are there are there some of the students there who have gotten active in that, trying to uh, trying to change the cultural narrative there, just at DePaul or in the wider world? Yeah, we we we've been blessed. Uh, we had a a, wonder, a friend of mine from high school went to DePaul, and she uh, became a doc, a medical doctor, and um, she now does like natural family planning, Catholic medicine in Indianapolis, and has this booming practice, and so. We've, mm-hmm. we've, we have had, had her come out and talk to our parish and students and stuff, and I think just kind of highlighting that. And then and so we have certainly some alumni uh, who fall into that category, um, and then just trying to, um, yeah, I think our, our faculty, you know, trying to develop relationships with our faculty, whether, you know, Catholic or not, um, trying to go on, you know, yeah, just anything that we can do to kind of address that, that, that narrative. Uh, we're certainly, I think, I think, trying to do and um, and have had su- some success with that. I think it's always uh, an uphill battle, of course, because it goes back, you know, to the scientific revolution and at least, you know, where the narrative is that we're just absolutely oil and water right. with all of this science. And so right. I think we have an uphill battle, but I think we're we're trying to do what we can. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Hang on just a second. One thing... Um, I've noticed you have a fairly active uh, social media presence. You have a blog and, uh, you know, active on several Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, Instagram. I don't get Instagram. I have to admit, um, I'm part, part of me is just stuck in the 20th century. I was, I was very much, you know, I was born in the seventies, but I was reading stuff from the fifties for a lot of my youth. And, uh, uh-huh. there's first part of me that's just kind of frozen in time. Yeah. But, uh, it's funny because, um, 
for me, I don't mind Instagram. I, I, and in fact, like all the studies, you know, show that that's where all of our college students are at. Um, mm-hmm. And so we use it for that purpose particularly. And but, uh, but my threshold is actually Snapchat. I downloaded Snapchat. Uh, for mm-hmm. like 10 minutes and tried to use it. And I'm like, I'm just having to draw the line here. I, I just, I can't do this. <laughs> yeah. so I've cut it off at, uh, at, at Snapchat, but, uh, there's certainly lots of priests doing Snapchat and, and have that, yeah. I think, covered. So you just yeah. have to figure out what you can handle and do that and That's right. not try and overextend. We, we all have different gifts. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. So, yeah. Well, so we had, uh, we, we talked to a lot of speakers at the Society of Catholic Scientists conference. It was back in, it was in Notre Dame back in June, and we've talked a lot about life issues because the subject, the theme of the conference was, uh, you know, what is human, you know, what does it mean to be human? And so we uh-huh. talked to people like uh, Maureen Kondik, who is a bioethicist out at Utah, who had a lot, was, was a very controversial figure uh, for the wider world because of her stance during the the big debates about embryonic stem cells and things like that. Uh, uh, so so I know that you've weighed in on some of these issues and some of the sort of <laughs> warfare that's been going on, so to speak, I guess, over that subject, especially in the last couple of years. So is there is there uh yeah. Would you would you like to uh go into that a little bit? Um Sure. Yeah, I, I think it's a great, you know, um, as as John Paul II said, and you know, his letter on kind of the relationship between faith and and science, faith and reason. Um, mm-hmm. You know, truth never contradicts truth, and right. I think that you know, in in the sort of research being done and with embryos and you know, all of the larger pro life discussion. I mean, I think we just see it's a great a because it's relevant and it's and it's really important. Um, and then B, just, I mean, yeah, it's just so intense. I think it's a great way where we can see, like, look, our faith doesn't, A, it doesn't contradict science, and it has something to contribute to the scientific discussion. Because, I mean, I think when you talk about that kind of stuff, I mean, the, you know, the building blocks of, of life and humanity, I mean, I think no matter what someone's coming from faith background-wise, it's really, it's a really big stretch. Not that there aren't completely materialistic people, but when you start talking about human people and embryos and babies, I mean, it, it really gets pretty hard to say that there's n- nothing there other than just physical matter, you know? And so right. it, it provides an opportunity to say, okay, like, can we all at least admit that, like, we all recognize that something important is happening here? Um, and if that's the case, then maybe, maybe, just maybe, um, you know, faith has something to contribute here, you know, yeah. Uh, yeah. Th- that can help yeah. shed a light on this. And, and then also, particularly, I think, pointing to specific examples of people who have been in the field for a long time, doing con- contributing research and, and things that people respect, to have those, to point to those specific people and say, these people you know, here are, are doing what they're doing and they're talking about how they're motivated by their faith, right? I mean, mm-hmm. as, as, you know, Paul VI said it way back in, in the, the 60s, I think, you know, that, that people don't listen to teachers anymore, they listen to witnesses. And yeah. and, and so to get up and, you know, to have me as a, as a 
priest, you know, get up and lecture about pro-life embryo stuff, you know, doesn't carry as much weight. But I mean, when we can point to like, here's a scientist in the field doing work who says that he's doing what or she's doing what she's doing because she's a Catholic. Yeah. And, and that she sees no contradiction in, in her scientific work and her faith. I mean, that speaks way more to my young people yeah. than me speaking about it. Right. Um, so I just think that's why it, you know, those kind of things are just super important right now. Yeah, 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 that, that role of needing witnesses to talk about. Yeah. And the whole, I mean, what you said earlier about, you know, if, if we're really... It's, it's interesting. So there's this, you know, public intellectual Steven Pinker, neuro, neuroscientist. Um, and I, I read some of his book. I read sort of the first third of his book, The Blank Slate. And it's fascinating because he takes, you know, his sort of fellow, sort of fellow progressives. I mean, it's, it gets to the point where it's, it's hard to call him a progressive in this, you know, the sense that most of us would understand it. Um, yeah. because he's taking them to task with their positions not being logically consistent that you know on one sense they try to claim that they're materialist and that allows them to sweep religion away and sweep it under the rug and regard it as you know something that history is just going to gradually rid us of um and the the faster we do that the better but at the same time they have all sorts of other beliefs that really aren't consistent with materialism at all and, and right, he tries exactly. to call them on that. I don't think he even does a complete enough job of it, actually. But um, at mm-hmm. least it's a start, and it's an interesting point of, you know, and and that it's it is so strange. the The last yeah. four hundred years of intellectual history are so amazingly contorted in the sense that, you know, so there was, you know, they the the science itself comes out of scholasticism. I mean, right. It's right. hard to deny those connections. Although people yeah. do regularly, that, that sort of Whig history of the scientific revolution that it just sort of arose out of nothing. Um, yeah. Uh, yeah, I mean, the, the, it's like, the, I mean, it's just, it's such a caricatured version of history. I, I heard once there's there's a book on the Middle Ages that I love, and it's by Regine Pernaud, and she just says that... Um, you know, you can say almost anything you want about the Middle Ages and be pretty sure no one's going to contradict you. Because, yeah. like, no yeah. one, I mean, 99% of people have not yeah. read the history. And, I mean, it's amazing when you go back and read that history. It's just the cartoon version that, you know, the church kept its foot on science and right. intellectual, you know. And, and, and then finally, once everybody got free of that, then science happened. Like, right. The opposite, as you just said, I mean, like, the opposite is true. When you go back and look at the history, unbiased, you're going to see that, like, yeah, without the sort of scholastic view of creation and and the Catholic view of creation, that it's, A, intelligible, and that, B, like, it's worth knowing, like, that's what clears the way for scientific resolution and is why the out of all of the people leading the way in the scientific revolution, the vast majority of them are Catholics and priests. Right. It's like, I mean, yeah, yeah just, I mean, the Big Bang Theory being being created by a Catholic priest, everyone thinks that, like, the Big Bang Theory, like, disproves Catholicism, and it's like, well, it didn't for the guy that came up with it, who was <laughs> right, a priest. Right, exactly. 
and, and the guy who came up with it, you know, dedicated himself, uh, among other things, to restraining the Pope from being too enthusiastic about it. I mean, that's that's bizarre to to try to claim that the Big Bang disproves Catholicism when it's something that people people of an atheist bent were horrified by because they would much rather the universe be eternal, as if that could work either. But that's another story. But right, they had right. sort of hung their hats on that. Right. And then it's like, and I always told my students, you know, I was teaching classes and stuff. It's like, okay, when you go look at the history of the Galileo event, like, it's amazing. Like, it's a great story. Like, and it's awesome. I mean, it's just, it, it's, it's fascinating from like a human, human interaction, you know, between the Pope and Galileo and, and that they mm-hmm. knew each other and there was a little bit of a friendship. I mean, it, there's so much to that story that's interesting and fascinating and no one yeah. knows it. And, right. and then the other thing about it, I always tell people is like, okay, if let's say for a second that the church actually hated and persecuted Galileo. I grew up in a Catholic school, and my understanding of it, I, I assumed that the church tortured and killed Galileo. Right. Um, and and but when, even, okay, even if you want to say that, which none of that happened, of course, when right. it's all cleared up by a simple reading of about five minutes about the actual story. Yeah. Um, Show us one other scientist who was persecuted by the church. Right. <laughs> like, if we had this great war against science, like, who else besides Galileo? And no one, you know, the vast majority of students can't, because there isn't oh, yeah. anybody else. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And nor nor do we choose to remember, I mean, we're blessed to live at this point. You know, John Paul II weighed in pretty pretty forcefully on what the actual resolution of the Galileo issue should be from the standpoint of the official church. You know, I mean, he, he released two documents that were basically, no, that was what, what, what the Pope and Cardinals did at that time was a miscarriage of justice in that specific case. And we, we totally repudiate that end of story. Right. Exactly. Yeah. And that's, yeah. yeah. And that's, that's, so, that I mean, got I think, forgotten I think... completely. Catholicism has nothing to fear, right, from, like, authentic science nor authentic history. But unfortunately, right. like, not many people know authentic history. No. And, and that's, no. that's why we're kind of behind the eight ball. Yeah, yeah. People are, are not, not patient enough to, to, to weigh into that. I mean, that, yeah. was what, that was what, you know, you, you mentioned earlier, I thought it was an interesting point, um, that statistically people, you know, leave intellectually have, have left the church by age 13. I'm like... I was actually like probably even a year or two ahead of that curve. Honestly, when right. I was a kid, I went through yeah. um, this whole phase where I was really, I was definitely an atheist at the age of 12 or 13. And, and what actually happened is that at age 14, I had, well, I had a kind of a conversion experience related to, you know, just stuff going on at that age. <laughs> going to uh-huh. fall into yeah. the details of that. But it was followed up by what God chose to follow that up with was, for whatever reason, I went down into the basement and I picked up, I don't know if it belonged to my father, probably my father, probably something he took in college. Um, but he had a copy of this old paperback, you know, it was, it was current and still into the 90s. You could find it in bookstores, but it was, it was black and had this weird abstract art on the cover, but it was a translation of uh, The Inferno by this, uh-huh. by this you know, 20th century poet named John Chiardi. And so, so I read this, and I have no idea what I picked it up and thought I was going to get out of. I mean, it was just it was an old book, and I wanted to read it. I've always loved old things. I, I was a geologist yeah. and a classics major. Just give me the old things, and nobody gets hurt. All right, just, right, I just want right. to find out. I just want to find out. So I read it, 
And I was just fascinated. I was blown away by, you know, because he has to give us all these historical notes on, you know, the figures involved and, of course, all of the all of the 13th and 14th century Italian figures that he talks about that none of us would get anymore because it's, it's politics of the time um, and right. all that fascinating little romance that we don't know anymore. Um, right. But also the intellectual currents of the time. And, and by the time I had, gosh, at least by the time I had finished the Purgatorio, which I had to go out and buy the Purgatorio after I finished like, the story goes on. Wait, there's more yeah. of this book. Um, by the time I finished that, I was, you know, I had somehow gotten introduced to the whole, like, you know, the whole world of the scholastic, you know, synthesis of the 13th uh-huh. and 14th century. And, and I just, you know, so up to that point, I had been very concerned about this whole, you know, there's no connection between, you know, here's this Bible over here and it says all of these things. And then here's this, I have this, you know, book about the universe, this, you know, pop-up book of the universe from the late 80s. And like, you know, so that sort of encapsulates for me the whole scientific side of things. Like, well, these just tell different stories. You know, this, this tells a completely different history. And I, and at that age, you know, my reading ability was pretty high, but my critical ability was somewhere lagging, you know, fairly yeah. far behind that. And right. it, you know, it, it, but I was struck by, oh, people have done this before. People have integrated yeah. their science and their faith before. I bet we can yeah. do that again. And I can't really, you know, I can't really give a complete explanation for just how firmly that conviction was already, you know, embedded in my mind at age 14. But, you know, but it was. And, and nothing I've learned since, you know, would lead me to believe otherwise. Right. Right. But, yeah. But that's, yeah. But, but again, people don't know that history. People don't. You know, people just aren't curious, and that's that's right. always terrified me. <laughs> yeah, yeah, right. No, absolutely, and yeah, and and, and and yeah, we 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 live in a world, right? I mean, like you know, that that really discourages, you know, that sort of looking back anyway, right? Because all that's really every, you know, that with with the situation and social media and everything, it's like. I think a lot of our young people today kind of believe that it's basically like if it didn't happen, you know, within the last couple of years, oh, yeah. it, it's not relevant, you know, because everything prior to a couple of years ago is sort of knuckle-dragging, right. you know, Neanderthal. Right. right. Um, Those homophobic, patriarchal, blah, 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 blah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, right. Yeah. yeah. So it's unfortunate, but, I mean, it, you know, it is what it is, and it's, it's the uphill battle that we that we have um, at the moment. But yeah, yeah, to try to to try to encourage people somehow, you know, finding what what the positive is, we can encourage people to sort of go a little bit deeper than the froth of, you know, the contemporary, like you say, social media in particular, crowding out our ability to do to do anything deeper than that, to think about anything yeah. deeper than that. Right. Well. Well, I really appreciate you making the time. Is there any uh, words you'd like to uh, sum up with here at the end? No, nothing comes to mind. Thanks for uh, thanks for being a Catholic scientist and uh, <laughs> helping helping fight. You're on the front line. Uh, well, we're in, in we're doing ways. our best. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Try to come out there. Um, it would be be great. Um, you mentioned that perhaps I could make it out there to DePaul at some time. I, I will make sure oh, not to wear my Wabash shirt. Uh, while I'm on campus, but, uh, yeah, no, we'd love to have you anytime and, and, uh, yeah, keep doing, keep doing what you're doing and helping and let me know if I can ever help with anything. 
Okay, yeah, and we're 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 going to try to get uh, we're going to try to get gold masses, at least one going somewhere in central Indiana, maybe in Indianapolis. Uh, I think the people, I think the Dominicans at IE are interested in doing it. So uh, hopefully we can make yeah. that happen. So that's another another form of outreach, a little public witness that Catholicism and science are like he's like you said, they're not oil and water. That's that's yeah. that's a very false picture of it. So yeah, yeah, great. All right, great to speak with you. Thank you so much. All right. If you enjoyed this episode, or it made you think, please subscribe to That So Second Millennium via Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Stitcher, Podbean, or your podcast service of choice.